Thank you, Karina. Mrs. Quick, appreciate that much. Romans chapter number one. Grab your Bible if you have your prayer bulletin. We have the outline on the back of it. Encourage you to grab that. Brother Rich is coming down the middle. He has some extra ones. Uh, if you need an outline, we'd like to get that in your hands as we um, get going here in uh, part four of our study in the book of Romans. It's been a great study. Boy, I love this passage and I love Paul as a writer and good challenge. If you need an outline, just get uh, Brother Rich's attention. We'll look at verse number eight and we'll go ahead and read down through verse 16. I think this section goes well together. Verse 8, we talk about how this kind of kicks it off and he's getting into it and uh, the kind of somewhat introductory remarks, really that's the first few verses there, 1 through 7, but he's kind of getting into the introduction of the actual letter in some ways and the salutation was the first part. Notice it in verse number 8, he says this, we covered these first few verses already, but first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world, cosmos and literally the whole known world of mankind. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. And notice this, I make mention, then verse 10, making request. Uh, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come on you. And if you remember last week, we, we settled and finished on the will of God and how it played into Paul's ministerial dreams, his, his desires. We pick up in verse number uh, 11. He says, For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end he may be established. Verse 12. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto, and not allowed, literally, by the Lord, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So, as much as is in me uh, is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Then verse number 16, just the first part, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We've used that terminology and that thought there even in verse number 14 of uh, to inform us here all along the way because Paul's mindset is based upon the gospel. In fact, we put it this way. Paul's mindset for the whole ministry, his whole ministry mindset is likened to that of his Lord. Uh, he is willingly, uh, to, uh, has a willing heart to be spent for the Lord. For the cause of Christ. He uh, is willing to be spent to get the gospel out. He is desirous that folks' future would be changed and affected. He wants their living now to be changed. He, he addresses that here in the book of Romans. And he's encouraging the believers to do what? Well, shine as the light that they are. Being representatives, ambassadors of the gospel to the world that they is. It is the gospel here that Paul celebrates in these first few verses. It is the thing that he puts the, the, the big spotlight on is the gospel, as we saw defined earlier, Jesus Christ. It is the gospel, it is Christ himself that moves and propels Paul in his service to others, propels his ministry all over the Roman Empire, it challenges him to take missionary trip after missionary trip after missionary trip, plant church after church after church, mentor after mentor, after, uh, disciple, it, it is exactly what is behind the heart and the ministry of Paul. And my friend, can I tell you, the modern day New Testament church, the local church needs to get a heart for what Paul had a heart for. 
it needs to get behind it. You and I, the believers, we need to catch, uh, those of us who went to PCC many years ago, there used to be the, the term of PCC, catch the spirit. Yeah, you remember that? Okay, maybe you don't. It's better if you don't remember it. Okay, uh, that was their cliche. Catch the spirit. Can I tell you, we as believers need to catch the spirit of Romans chapter 1. Everything ought to be gospel inspired. There is no greater power among mankind than the gospel. No greater name given under heaven among men, whereby you must be saved. That's Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is all about that. And just as we looked at these first few verses a couple of weeks ago, we caught a glimpse into the thinking of Paul, who we would call the foremost missionary mind of the first century. Quickly, you saw these things here behind me. We saw a gospel-inspired thankfulness, verses 3 uh, and 4. Gospel-inspired prayerful concern. Actually, that's verse 8. I don't know why it says 3 and 4. Excuse me, the thankfulness verse 8. Verse 9, a gospel-inspired prayerful concern is praying for them, making mention of them. And then the practical was found in making requests. He longed to go to where uh, they were and, and to, to really be with them in a sense. And uh, that's really, it shouldn't say verse 9. I don't know why I messed this all up, but that's supposed to be verses 10 through 11, number 3 there. Hopefully it's right on your outline there, but nonetheless. Then we come to this one. This is where we start out for today, verse 11, where we got into verse 11 a little bit. Now we want to finish it up. Notice it here. Paul had a passion. He had an initiative. He had a longing. He had a great desire for the furtherance of the ministry. But all of those things, everything that Paul had for the ministry, he brought to the altar of God. And he was willing to put it there to be ran through the filter of what? God's will. God's will. We began to see that just a couple weeks ago. The filter of God's perfect plan, his perfect purpose um, we noted just a couple of weeks that the verse 11 was really a revelation of Paul's heart and mind towards the Romans and others. We see that his desire, and there you see it, a gospel-inspired desire for fellowship. His desire was marked by an unfleshly impulse, now get this, to give to give. Look at verse 11. This is quite interesting. He says this, for I long to see you, notice it, that I may impart, literally give to you, that that I may share with you, that I I, I might hand over to you, impart unto you the, the some spiritual gift to the end. And here he goes again. He's talking about giving to them to the end uh, that ye might be, or ye may be established. I want you to see it. He wanted to impart to them a spiritual gift. He, he wanted to give them truth so they could be established. He wanted to preach to them. Uh, he wanted to be used of God, a tool in their lives. Brother Judd kind of alluded to it last week. You know, every Sunday school teacher, everybody who ministers on one level or another are imparting, giving something as part of the ministry. Paul had a heart to give. That was his desire. That was his want. Uh, boy, it rings true today. Because Paul is is someone who wrote later on that he would gladly be spent. He would gladly be spent. He would gladly give for the cause of Christ. You see it on your outline there. Paul had this understanding. He taught of it. He wrote of it often. To be a Christian is to be called to give. To be called to give. You and I are not saved to, to, to sit back and just take in. God instructs us. God calls us to give. You know, to be in any ministry is to give. Whatever the ministry is, from nursery to driving a bus to being an usher, a deacon, you name it, Sunday school teacher, choir member, orchestra player, to be in a ministry is to give, is to give, to invest, to impart. 
Um, same is true. Can I tell you, we're gonna, you're going to see me mention it often throughout other messages too, but Sunday morning we, we're trying and praying about starting our series on what it means to be a church member. Uh, why should I be a church member? What's the big deal about being a church member? And uh, to be a church member is part of giving. <laughs> to be a, a member of a church is to give. To be a church member literally means I, I'm to give. I, I'm called to do that. We know from scriptures that God also cares, not only that you give, but all, God also cares about what kind of giver you are. Many of us have children, and we've seen children. Boy, you ever ask a child to share a toy that they, a toy that they just treasure? Their prized toy? And boy, you would have thought that you asked them to cut off their arm. You need to share that with them. You need to share that with your brother. Or maybe to give a piece of candy and, and you need to give one to your brother. You need to give one to your sister. But you would have thought you would have asked them to, to jump off a cliff. It's funny, isn't it? That they maybe share it. What do they do? They don't just go play with something else. They look at it and just watch. Like, I'm going to make sure they don't break it. As soon as they put it down, I'm going to grab mine, mine. I mean, we've all seen it. You can go look at the nursery. You can go watch kids play. And boy, it's there. What would we call that? Well, that is a grudging giver. You and I know it well. Even in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7, Paul says that God does not want a grudging giver that gives just because, eh, I kind of have to. Out of necessity is literally what Paul says in there in that verse. Quite the opposite in that verse. Paul says what? Well, God wants a what? Cheerful giver. A happy giver, a delighted giver, someone who says, wait a second, it's my joy, it's my privilege, it is a, it is, boy, something for me to give. And I get excited about it, I get happy about it. Can I tell you, the Sunday school teachers of Fostoria Baptist Church ought to be excited about teaching? You ought to be. Because you get the opportunity to impart. Do you see what Paul said? I long to do it. I have a desire. I mean, my heart burns within me. If I didn't teach, I don't know what I'd do. If I didn't preach, I don't know what I'd do. If I didn't share the gospel, I don't know what I would do. That's Paul's attitude. That's his desire. Boy, sometimes we, we miss the boat a little bit on here. Sometimes we are the type of giver that begrudges the time spent. I have to do this Sunday school lesson again. I, I gotta, I, I gotta get up early and go ride the bus. I, I gotta do nursery again tonight. Hey, what kind of giver of your time are you then? Man, I gotta be in there with those snot slingers and diaper changers. Oh. But what kind of giver are you? You say, ah, Pastor Henry, we're talking about nursery. Can I just put it this way? Let me put it bluntly. I think if Paul worked the nursery, Paul would be one of the most excited nursery workers ever. I really do. I think Paul would have said, okay, if that's my ministry, praise be to God. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. I'm going to be a cheerful giver. We've got to be careful. Sometimes we take 2 Corinthians 9, uh, 7 there, and we think, oh, he's just talking about monetary giving. Well, certainly the passages and context is about finances. But man, can I tell you, my friend, the principle is be a cheerful giver. Whether it's your time and your energy, your strength, whatever it is for God, be a cheerful giver, not a grudging giver. That's what God desires. And boy, Paul knew it. You and I can't be one who 
uh, or begrudges our time spent, the sacrifice made, the, the scarce present return for the investment. Well, what good is it going to do? I, I teach Sunday school every year, and boy, it doesn't seem to do much, uh, much change or much difference. Or I work in the nursery. What's that doing? I, I, what am I helping? Hey, hey, step back a second. Who are you doing it for? The Lord. Have the desire in the heart of, of Paul. So let me ask you this. Number one, hey, believer, Christian, are you giving? Are you imparting? Have you found the ministry in which you're to impart? Or not even just a, a labeled ministry, but part of the local church, you know, fellowship of believers. Are you imparting to someone else? We'll see it in our study of the church. There's many aspects to it, exhorting one another, provoking one another. You name it. There's a lot for us to do here in giving to others. So are you giving? And if you're giving, are you a cheerful giver? Are you involved? Notice what Paul said. I want to impart to you some spiritual gifts. But I sure am thankful that God has given each one of us spiritual gifts. To use in the body of Christ to minister to others. So let me ask you, are we imparting our spiritual gift? Are we using it? Are we employing it for the cause of Christ and for the church of Christ? You know, if we aren't, if we're a believer that's not getting plugged into the local church, the fact is this, you're not uh, just cheating uh, the church of Christ. You're also cheating yourself of great encouragement. You're cheating yourself of a great blessing. You see, one of the things we'll, we'll see in our study of church membership excuse me, is the emphasis the body, or excuse me, the Bible puts on every member giving of ourselves in the local body, the local church. But it's not popular today. Our society has a mentality of consumerism. What's consumerism? I consume it, right? That I just take, and, and literally, we have a mindset in our society that I'm just going to take, I'm going to take, I'm going to take. And very seldom do we give, give, give. And yet, that's not God's plan. God's design is exactly the opposite. That He designed you and I, He created us both, both physically, but also spiritually in the new man, to give. Uh, it's His purpose and plan. You know, uh, secondly, not only am I, am I a giver, but secondly, are you giving grudgingly or with a cheerful heart? Do you do what you do for the Lord and for the church and for others out of necessity, or do you do it for a deep-rooted love for God and, and mankind? You know, it's been said that attitude is everything. Now, I, I don't agree with that because you can have a great attitude and still fail at something. <laughs> but I will tell you this, attitude is very important. Having a right attitude, a right spirit in what you do, and, and having a cheerful attitude in giving to God, it needs to be there. Boy, Paul had a great attitude to go along with his desire to give. He said this, I long to impart to you spiritual gifts, and boy, his attitude was, I will cheerfully give. I'll gladly be spent for you. Now I want you to note this. What, what else did Paul desire to give? Now notice this. I think this is crucial for us to, to grasp as a church and as believers. Paul wanted to give, as he expressed in the second part of the verse, he, he wanted to give, note it, verse 11, an established beginning. An established beginning. Paul sensed and he also knew from experience that every believer needs to be established in the truth. Every believer needs to be established in the truth. 
It's truly a time of renewing the mind, of rejecting and turning from one's past doing and thinking, and being exposed to the principles of the new life found in Christ. In other words, there's a great need for stability in the Christian life. Great need. And so a person has to be established, they have to be rooted and grounded. You, you think of it, Christ commands us to make disciples of those that receive the gospel. Why? You can't just get them saved and leave them alone. You've got to establish them. That's literally what Romans is all about. Look at our title. It is a rock-solid faith founded upon the rock, Jesus Christ. So Paul is doing in Romans what he said, Boy, I sure do wish that I could come to you and I could impart to you spiritual gifts and I could help establish you in the faith. And he isn't able to do that because God's word would, will would not allow it at that time. So what does he do? He writes the book of Romans to do exactly that. Now listen to me and listen to me carefully. When you and I get saved, we become a new man, a new creature in Christ. Every single person who gets saved needs to go through new man training. Spirit and mind renewed, brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, drinking the, the, the milk of the Word so we may grow thereby. We are commanded to desire the sincere milk whereby we grow. Now, it's important for you and I to grasp this simple truth. We can't explain someone who just gets saved. We can't expect them, excuse me, we cannot expect them to know it all. See, we've got to be careful, you and I as mature believers, those of us who have been saved for a long time, that we don't make new believers feel dumb or inadequate because they, don't, they aren't where we are. Paul's attitude was, I want to see souls saved and I want to bring them along and I want to make disciples of them and establish them in the rudiments of the faith. But boy, in our churches, we've got to be careful. We'll see someone saved, and boy, we want them to know every doctrine. We want them to, to dress perfectly the right way. We want them to do everything right by day one or two, three, by day seven. We've got to be careful. We've got to come alongside them and encourage them and, and teach them and establish them in the faith. We've got to disciple them. We've got to groom them. We've got to train them in the new man. That is what the Holy Spirit guides and directs them in doing. Must be careful. I, I don't like it. I don't know about you. Do you, you ever go up to somebody and I, I'm not an engine guy. I don't know engines. I, when there's a problem with the car, someone may say, hey, have you, uh, have you looked at the alternator? I'm like, I'm looking at the whole engine, so I guess I'm looking at the alternator. I, I don't know where. And, and, you know, they may ask a question. Do you know where, you know where that part is, don't you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah, that can make you feel pretty dumb, wouldn't it? Now, come on. Some of us, maybe it's on your smartphone. I could tell you to look up something on your smartphone. You're like, saying, my, my smart what? Where is that? I mean, we can make each other, you know, we don't have the knowledge. And boy, we can feel pretty dumb. We can feel kind of inadequate. Go grab this tool. Go, I don't know what, I, you know, go grab. I mean, you can make somebody feel pretty inadequate. Can I tell you, we ought to be careful. We need to be careful when someone gets saved that we take the time to establish them. Grow them. Allow them to, to grow in the Lord. It doesn't mean that we become complacent with sin in their life and everything else. No, not at all. But the reality is, Paul had a longing to see them grow, to be established in Christ. And so you and I likewise must have that same thing. Why? Because we just said it. Hey, we live in a world. The storms of life are going to come for that new believer. That's why they need to be established. 
Storms are going to come. The assault of Satan, it's going to be a full frontal assault by Satan. He wants to sweep in, like the parable, he wants to sweep in and steal the seed before they can become established, rooted, grounded in Christ. So it's the church's responsibility to not only get them saved, but to make disciples. It's our responsibility. It's believers' responsibility to to mentor someone, to come alongside of them. Can I tell you, not only are there storms of life that will upset people, but it's also the, the, the assault of Satan, but also our flesh. Well, it still fights to have preeminence. It still fights for supremacy. The flesh and the pull of it will be strong. Hey, the hymnist said it well, didn't he? He said what? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. Well, he had a good understanding of, man, this flesh. And Paul says it here in this book of Romans, this letter. He says later on, boy, there's a struggle going on. So it's so crucial that we establish them. Hey, it's a modern-day discipleship. That's why we have a discipleship program. That's, it's to establish folks. That's why we have an RU program. To That's why we have a Sunday school. To, to establish our children in the truth of God's Word, the rudiments of the faith, the doctrine of God, of Jesus Christ. We've got to get them established. It's why we're reevaluating everything from Sunday school, from programs that we do, Patch and Pee Wee, all the time. We're trying to say, okay, are we doing our job as a church to what? To establish people. That's our responsibility. Yes, as believers, to help ourselves get established, but praise be to God, He gives us the local church to establish us. As Paul has a desire to do even here. It, it's why these things are important. Mentoring, uh, one-on-one, discipleship. It's why being a member of a local church is so important. It's why it's important for you and I to be around in fellowship with believers more than we do unbelievers. It establishes us. What Paul wanted to do in person, he now does through this letter. He desires for them to be rooted and grounded in the faith, to drink of that sincere milk of the Word whereby we grow it's crucial. We just don't win people to Christ, but we get them rooted and grounded in Christ. It's the church's responsibility. It's the believer's task and duty. Others around us need to be strengthened. It isn't just taking the the, the one who's just saved and helping them grow, but fellow believers. Maybe those in the church who, who haven't grown per se. It's our responsibility to come alongside them and encourage them to impart the truth of God's Word. Then in verse 12, notice what Paul says. He, he humbly speaks of them kind of being on the same level. He talks, uh, that is, that I, may be, that I may be comforted together with you. Encouraged together. I like that. There isn't this, I'm better than you. I, I'm the big evangelist blowing in, blowing up, and blowing out. Uh, it's, not, it's not this attitude of, ah, boy, I've been saved. No, he says we're, we're going to comfort one another together in our faith. A, a, a mutual attitude there. The word translated there is comforted together. That's actually one Greek word. It's only used here. It literally means to exhort together jointly, to strengthen. When you and I come to Christ in faith, one of the great privileges is that we enter into an intimate fellowship with God. You and I get to enjoy that. But even beyond that, it also opens the door for us to have a mutually beneficial fellowship with one another as believers. It is a unique knitting of our hearts together as a local church, as believers, as Christians, that God does in a very practical way here in the local church. It's why Satan fights it so much. 
Satan doesn't want you and I to, to, to get plugged in. He doesn't want you and I to do exactly what Paul says here. Paul says, I want to go to church with you folks. I want to get to Rome and I want to worship so that you and I may be comforted together by the mutual faith of both you and me. You want a great description of what church ought to be? That's it. Comforted together by our mutual faith. It is literally God's plan. And I'll tell you, my friend, Satan will do anything he can to disrupt that. Through derision, through divisiveness, he will look for any attempt. Because listen, here's the point. If he can make weaker Christians, then he will affect the kingdom of God. If he can make weaker churches, then he's going to affect the kingdom of God. So Paul says it's crucial. We need to be comforted together. I like how one author put it. Notice it. It's a long quote, so forgive me. He says this, The service of Christ is a constant two-way system of impartation. See, Paul uh, uh, hits on this. He says, I'm going to come to a part to you, but I'm also going to receive blessing. I'm also going to be mutually beneficial uh, or benefited, excuse me, by it. If you impart something of the knowledge of God and of the encouragement of the Lord Jesus Christ to other believers, they in turn will encourage your heart by the very existence of faith in their hearts by the very growth the work of grace in their life it is mutually beneficial as we um, minister to folks as we come alongside and we enjoy the unity that paul speaks of here paul spoke the same thing to the church of corinth in fact he said essentially instructed them to encourage others with the same encouragement they had received but do you see the point It takes two or more for there to be mutual encouragement present. Now, I want to ask you this evening, did you come to Fostoria Baptist Church tonight, and did you already fulfill what Paul longed for here? That I may be comforted together with you. That I might be able to impart some of a spiritual gift. That I might help to establish somebody. That I might help them grow in one way or the other. I long for that, Paul says. Can I tell you, I think most of our churches in America today, and frankly, probably around the world, don't have a whole lot of Christians who long to come to church and minister, to encourage someone else, to impart, to give, to to, to just minister to other people. And yet that's God's design. It isn't just for a missionary or, or a pastor to get up and it's all their responsibility, to, the Sunday school teacher, and they're the ones. No, my friend, you've misunderstood what church is. Brother Judd mentioned last week about how the church sticks around in fellowships. They even have food. There could almost be Americans, amen, or good, certainly good Baptists. They have food. Hey, that's a crucial part of the church. It's a crucial working of the church to, to encourage. That's why we have family fellowship night coming up in a couple of weeks. Why? That is our role here in the body of Christ is to encourage one another. And it's mutually beneficial. Anybody who has served in a, in a role in some sort, some realm of the ministry will tell you the same thing. So I ask you tonight, who have you interacted with in this type of ministry this week? Who have you encouraged? Who have you imparted some spiritual gift to? Who have you said, okay, I'm going to invest in their life. I'm going to give in this way. It may be through a simple sharing of an encouragement, a Bible verse, praying for them. It may be you were a teacher. But what part did you invest? Did you give? Did you encourage? 
You know, every Sunday school teacher here uh, knows what it means to teach something and to see it to come to fruition in the life of someone else. It's a great encouragement. See, literally what this guy is saying here, this author, is as I impart and I teach something and then it comes to fruition and I see it in their life and maybe, boy, I say something this week to somebody in this service and, and they come back, they send you a text message, they, they send a little note saying, hey, man, that really encouraged my heart. I, I, I greatly appreciate it. Man, you are encouraged by your encouraging them. And so it ought to be. Man, as a pastor, you have no idea how much you folks encourage me to see your faithfulness, to, to see you growing in ways and, and different ways, every single one, and, and, and people growing and getting into God's Word and allowing the Holy Spirit to mature them and bring them into the likeness. And even this week, I, I was thinking earlier today, I, there's at least three to four people that have shared something with me this week that God is doing in their lives. Can I tell you, that is exciting. That is encouraging. That through the ministries of Fostoria Baptist Church, through just devotions and preaching and teaching and fellow believers, that somebody is being brought into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. Listen, nothing of this world compares to somebody growing in Christ. It doesn't. This is life. This is the most exciting thing that you and I can be a part of. You know what it's called? The local church. The body of Christ. And Paul longs for his opportunity to minister as he desires. He goes on. It, it continues, if time permits us. Yeah, the hard attitude is verse 13. Notice it. We already looked at the first part of this verse. Now, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was led hitherto, or hindered, literally. But notice this. That I might have some fruit among you also even as also among other Gentiles. We dealt with the part of God's will, how he was hindered and how he dealt with that. So let's focus on that last part of this verse. It's not a selfish, self-promoting statement of prideful desire. Hey, hey, I've got fruit over here, and so now I'm going to come to Rome, and I'm going to have fruit. Paul's not saying it that way. This was what was on Paul's heart. He was embracing the mandate that has been given to every single believer. Not just a missionary, not just a pastor, but every one of us as believers. It's the mandate that's been given. His life and ministry, notice it, was a never-ending quest to produce what? Fruit. He says it. That's, hey, I want to come and I want to produce some fruit in your midst. I want to be used of God. Labor for Him to produce fruit. She said, didn't Paul just want to go preach? No. Didn't Paul just want to go on some wonderful missionary trips? No. Didn't Paul just want to go establish some churches and, and write parts of the Bible? No. You know what his ultimate goal was? His ultimate goal was to produce fruit that inevitably brought glory to God, that evidenced God's power in my friend that spread the name of Christ. Get a hold of Paul's heart tonight. This is his desire. This is what he longs to do. This is the believer's mandate from the very, frankly, from the very mouth of Christ. So let me ask you this real quick, and let's make it practical tonight. What kind of fruit are you producing? More importantly, what kind of fruit are you pursuing? 
What is it with your life that you've been given by Jesus Christ? You've been blood-bought, reborn, regenerated. God has made you into a new man, a new person. So what fruit are you pursuing? This wasn't just something that God wanted to consume Paul's life. No, friend, it was for every one of us. You say, how do you say that? Well, look. You tell me, John chapter 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit. Hmm. And that your fruit should remain. Ye abide in me. You're going to produce fruit. So there's a personal responsibility of abiding in Christ, and yet God has called us to. God has said, I want you to produce fruit. What Paul said he wanted to go to Romans to do, God has called you to do it in your workplace. He's called you to do it in Fostoria, in Silverwood, in Mayville, in Vassar, in Millington, in Columbiaville. He's called you and I to produce fruit. He's called you, called you and I to produce fruit at Fostoria Baptist Church. To invest, to give, to encourage, to, to do what is necessary uh, to have an impact for the cause of Christ. Here in Romans, Paul is undoubtedly speaking. We can describe what is spiritual fruit across the board, but let's narrow it down. What is Paul speaking of likely here? Well, he's certainly speaking of the spiritual fruit of salvation and sanctification. It is Paul's desire. He longed for new converts among the Romans, for those who were already saved to grow in the Lord, to become mature believers. Everywhere that Paul went whether among the Jews or the Gentiles, he now lived to produce fruit. To see people added to the family of God, to see fellow believers grow in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Every city he went to, he left fruit. Every church that he helped to encourage and maybe plant, he left fruit in the pews. Every prison that he went to, he left fruit. He was in Caesar's household. Guess what? He left fruit. He had a heartbeat and a mindset that, boy, I'm here to produce fruit. I'm a fruit producer. That's my responsibility. That's my goal. That is my longing. And that's what excites me. How about you? But boy, when I stand up next to Paul and I see what his heartbeat is, I am convicted. Do I long in that way for what Paul did? Do I have a heart to produce such fruit that when I see someone, I see the possibility of a soul being saved or I see a fellow Christian. and Yes, they're not just a fellow member of Fostoria Baptist Church, but I see somebody that I can encourage to grow in the Lord, to become more like Christ. It doesn't matter their age, if they're 7 or 70. Can I tell you, you and I can produce fruit in somebody else's life. Hence was Paul's longing. Hence was his desire. So let me ask you, Where are the ones that God has used you to bring to Him? Where's your fruit at? Where are the ones at Fostoria Baptist Church or maybe in the community that God has used you to be a tool in His hands to mature them? You study the Scriptures. We'll get into it in our church study. The reality is God has called the older to come alongside the younger. Both ladies and both men to come alongside and mentor and encourage them. To do just this. To have fruit in someone else's life. There's peers here and people of the same age where you can come alongside each other and you can produce spiritual fruit in their lives. Does that cross your mind? Does that consume you? Do you have a longing to do that? Boy, I'm going to church tonight and I'm going to worship God. And and certainly that is the focal point and our focus of being here. But as a church, God wants you and I to produce fruit in one another's life. Paul's longing is something that sometimes we miss out on. 
There's much fruit to strive for. We can strive for the fruit of prestige and position and popularity and wealth and power and acceptance and influence. We, we can strive for all of that fruit, but as Christ said what? You have your reward. If that is what you seek after. Oh, but there is a lasting joy. There is a great reward when we are focused on producing the right kind of fruit. Spiritual fruit manifest in the lives and hearts of others. Paul makes an interesting statement here next. And um, you know what? We're going to stop. It's already just about eight. Let's stop there. We'll get into it. Verse number 14 as we get here next week and uh, weeks to come. And a great statement, man. I, I like his next statement. It flows well. It's hard to stop here in Romans chapter 1, but we will for tonight. Brother Cliff, you'll bring those prayer requests. I encourage you to pray for Brother Tim Crooks. And as we mentioned